week, we are all here in our meeting, and we are speaking with Katie Drahos from the band Butter Boys. Um, Katie has uh, been around in the Twin Cities, I think, now for around a decade? Yeah, just yes. coming up on a decade. Yeah, mm. is extremely active in our music scene here. If you've gone to any local shows in Minneapolis or St. Paul, it's a very good chance you have probably seen Katie um, right before the pandemic and right when shows started playing again. I feel like y'all have just been booking crazy this like, yeah. past, like whenever they started allowing shows again. So, um, yeah, pretty much. Katie Drahos, everyone, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we are happy to have you here. So first off, I think uh, a question that I so me and Katie actually know each other personally a little bit, but I don't know this story either. And I think we're all very curious. We just want to open this up with first off Butterboy's origin story. Um, I think particularly also with where the name choice came from and what does butter have to do with it? Oh man. So origin stories, just band in general. Um, my husband and I, um, he's the drummer in the band, David. We, he's been in bands forever and he got this practice space. So we would just get together and I didn't even know like how to hold a microphone essentially. So we would just get together and like, listen to the shins and I would sing over it and he would drum to it. And we did that for a while. And then Joe, we met at this festival that um, our old like record label that we were a part of would put together every year. It was called um, Fairfield revival. And Joe was there, just happened to be there. And then like, we just instantly became friends, he and I. And so he came, he's like, well, I know how to play guitar. And he had been in bands forever. So we just got together and made it happen and literally the name butter boy so it really doesn't have much to do with butter at all we were just talking and trying to come up with a name and it kind of started from i think it was the buffalo wild wing boys and then <laughs> and then it was so it started as that which i really liked obvious for obvious I, I reasons i love that too yeah, yeah. and then it like kind of morphed pocket. yeah exactly i i keep all of these in my back pocket i have so many <laughs> Then it morphed into like BB and the Wangs. And wow. then from BB, I think like Butter Boys just kind of came about. And Joe was like, absolutely not. And I'm like, well, I think we found our name. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I love it. The rest is history. Every nice. good band has needs an antagonist, right? It's so true. <laughs> At least so one true. of them. <laughs> so it, there's no there's no particular affinity to to butter in general i mean amongst, amongst in my life in my re <laughs> it, just in my life in general absolutely i feel like it's a pillar it's like butter and cheese in general what are you salted uh, or non what was that salted or non for your butter? well it, so that's so i always buy non like unsalted butter because mm -hmm. i use it in cooking and I like to control my salt intake. But if it's like a really good butter that you're just going to be putting on bread, sure, then yeah. sure, I can have some salt in there. Salt it up. Have yeah. you had, have you had like the, I think, I think you can get it at like Sam's Club. They have like that 
garlic butter or whatever that you can oh, get. Oh, like a compound bowl. butter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've I've made a compound butter, and yes, they're my oh, favorite. So bo- they're so good. It's it changes the game. And then mm-hmm. in that, yeah, I would want salt in there. Honestly, like making making it would be super easy because all you got to do is just put the herbs in it and like exactly. Go. That's it. Bingo, mm-hmm. bango, and you're done. They just sell it better. <laughs> it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to just go and buy it from a person. It's very true. All right. Well, that like, uh, the music thing doesn't. If the music thing doesn't work out, you could also just like start your own butter factory or something. Yeah, that's kind of. I. I mean, I'm thinking that might just take the place of all of it. Like, especially <laughs> after this conversation, I feel like um, clearly we know where my passion lies. <laughs> I mean, Honestly, it actually would probably be a good merch idea too. That's what I was about to say too. There was a, I I don't think they're probably the only one to do it, but I know that the the old uh, I think now disbanded local group called um Bob Ross Mob Ma, Ma Boss or Mob Ross mm-hmm. I can't remember, but they had um their own hot sauce that they made and would sell oh. as merch. Mm. So you, man. Katie that Russia. I mean, yeah, we, makes butter the butter boys butter. we were mm. we were actually thinking about that, but it was more of this idea of just having sticks of butter there, <laughs> like available, or like little pads, you know, like the little pads that you get on restaurants. Oh yeah, mm. like oh, just always so having funny. those available <laughs> as like a freebie instead of matches. It's like here, here's a pad of butter. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely been on the merch idea list. Oh my goodness. That's too funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, not, uh, boy, how do we segue from that? Let's, let's go, let's go, (laughs) let's go to how you got here. Um, so I know, I believe you told me you grew up in the Seattle area. Yeah, I did. I grew up in like Redmond, any, like all the Redmond and Woodenville, Washington listeners out there. Now you've been here for about a decade. What in particular uh, drove you to Minnesota or the Midwest in general? Like, was it was it driven by any idea to do music or something creative? And um, how does it feel to also, I mean, go from you know a coastal area, which you know I know Redmond is probably you know it's not like L.A. or New York City or something, but I think coming to the Midwest, you probably found that it's you know it's pretty segregated here for BIPOC folks so how does it feel to be a transplant as a as a BIPOC person in our scene here yeah it's so it's so first like what brought me here um it was just my family I actually have family up north in the Brainerd area and my mom grew up in Brainerd so but I'm not close to them at all but so that was kind of par- partially one of the reasons why I like I ended up plopping here. But it was an mm-hmm. ex and I just wanted to move somewhere. Like I lived in mm-hmm. the area my whole life in the Seattle area my whole life, and mm-hmm. it was like you know everyone's going off to college or doing whatever. And so it was actually between here and Boston, and Minneapolis was cheap comparatively, <laughs> especially coming from Seattle. I think my first apartment mm-hmm. was like. $600 for a one bedroom and Lori. Oh. And I was like, what the, like, what is this place? <laughs> it was so wild to me. Cause I was like, there's, I could never find that. 
and looking at like just jobs in general that you could get while um, I had this delusion that I was going to go to school <laughs> while I was here. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, I was like, yeah, there's like the community college is right in the area. I'm going to definitely go to school while I'm here, which that did not last long. I always am telling myself I'm going to go to school and then it never works. I just never do it. Um, I get like, I do one class and then I'm like, oh yeah, I hate school. Why, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep thinking that I'm going to be good at this? I hate this. Anyway, um, so that was kind of, it was just a whim and came here and then I got into makeup actually. I was like, I worked at Macy's and for like, I don't know, eight years, Macy's and Nordstrom doing like high end makeup oh. stuff. And then that's ripped my soul from my <laughs> whole body. Cause retail is terrible. And mm-hmm. specifically like being a black person in Minnetonka selling <laughs> like $700 face creams to people mm-hmm. that really Jesus. would rather spit in my face. So mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. it was an interesting time um, doing that and eventually just, like, had to dip out of there. But, yeah, that was kind of, like, my journey here. And then went into um, local politics, actually, and ran a few campaigns. I ran Angela Conley's um, District 4 Hennepin County Commissioner, First Black, Hennepin County Commissioner in the history of the Hennepin County. So that's oh, like yeah. one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And then at the same time that I was kind of getting into politics, leaving retail is when I started also doing all of this music stuff and kind of like seeing the intersections between the two and how like while trying to create voices to power within local politics and especially in these seats that people don't know anything about, um, mm-hmm. we can be doing the exact same thing within the music and art scene. Um, cause like art inherently is civic engagement. So it's kind of like having to reframe that. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing since that's what I'm doing now. So that's awesome. Katie, you, you actually answered one of our questions ahead of time. I was, <laughs> I was going to ask about your connection to like fresh start twin cities, mm-hmm. Minnesota voice, and really kind of ask like, what's the intersection between, yeah, the civic engagement and, and music And you know, if there's anything else you wanted to add to that, um, I'm all ears. And, and I'm also just curious, like, um, did, did you, did you feel like that passion was always, within you the the connection to like um you know whether it was like politically driven or um just about being connected to a community you know empowering people like did you have a sense that that was um like in your in your blood so to speak or did it just feel like it just it just sort of happened like once you were here um definitely in my blood uh i've kind of always been like either the kid or the person that is questioning authority and then trying to like figure out how do we fix this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's manifest itself in so many different ways. And really like my ultimate leaving retail was because of like labor issues and looking around and being like, this is messed up and people are being consistently like, screwed over by these corporations and like how do we fix that it's like well 
little baby steps you can look at like local policy and or at least get people talking about it at a state level blah 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 how do you do that you get to know the people that are in those positions and if you don't like those people try to find somebody and run them and so it was kind of just like I knew I was always going to be doing something but I never I didn't want to like I said earlier I hate school and every time I would be in like a political science course I'd be like this sucks and I don't see how this is applies. Like I hear it and I love all what you're talking about. But like when we're actually talking about people, not like they're not, they don't have food. Like you're right. a lot of times, like your political science degree isn't going to help you there. And you right. need to figure out like practical mm-hmm. solutions. And so I never wanted to go down that route. So I kind of just like made, I just kind of figured it out on my own and <laughs> was like, I'll just make it happen. And there's a certain urgency that comes with music where you're like, I'm making this in the moment. You're here in the room with me experiencing it. We're not sitting in a classroom like talking about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And that's and then like when it comes to intersections, actually, I was um, today at work. So I work for Minnesota Voice um, and that was really great because I did I did the like partisan politics working within um electoral stuff for probably like two and a half years and it's really exhausting and it's just not something that's sustainable but i also didn't want to like enter into this into the nonprofit like industrial complex just because i'm just like i don't so i was like in a limbo i didn't know what to do and then minnesota voice came along and we're really restructuring what it means to like do this work and like what the actual point is. And like, I can say, I say this like consistently of like the point, if we're trying to like be raising marginalized voices, then the point is that we should be working ourselves out of a job instead of like trying to keep up metrics. (laughs) Like we should not, we're trying to like, not, we don't, we shouldn't need this job anymore. Like that's the point. And that doesn't mean that's going to happen tomorrow, but that should be like the end game is that we don't have these jobs anymore. And so um, one of those ways is we do nonpartisan civic engagement, specifically with like raising marginalized voices um, within like the voting sector. So really voter registration has been what we've done for a, a really long time. And we pull a lot of strong numbers and we're trying to rethink that and something that I'm working on next year specifically is creating an arts table within Minnesota voice. And, um, it's going to be like a process, but what that looks like is really trying to get folks that artists specifically and specifically like BIPOC artists that aren't a part of this whole nonprofit money world and get them like buy-in at the table so that we can start like, weaving these things together. And to me, what that looks like is we need to start getting money into the hands of these people. And like, like we can talk about all these cool programs or whatever, but like, honestly, we just need to be paying artists to do art and art, no matter what the genre is, is civic engagement and engaging, engaging in civics. And it shouldn't just be like the same person that like, plays the flute and makes a song about climate change that gets the $10,000 grant. It's like, God bless you for your service. And I love what you do, but like, it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the only determining factor of what, I don't know, these people that have the money consider to be like worthy to civic engagement. 
So trying to like have those conversations in spaces that never think about that, like ever, and don't even think about how art applies to the functionality of a city. Um, And so it's been interesting. It's been interesting. Yeah, that's, like, that's really, honestly, that's really, that's really amazing, especially how, like, you're, especially with just thinking about how it affects the community, because, yeah, giving back, especially giving back to communities that, like, especially need it, which is awesome. Um, I know we kind of, like, this, sorry, we kind of, like, went back, or we went forward, we went forward a question. Smelkin, do you want to take the next one, or should I? Or do you? Yeah, I can hop continue? back to three. I think still makes the most sense. Um, okay, cool. But um, yeah, I was gonna say too. Like, I, I feel like for everyone too, that with you know going through a global pandemic, too. I think we all. I mean, at you know, at the end of the day, I mean, we're still looking for money for things like this. But I mean, I I would like to think that people have started to understand how actually valuable the arts and entertainment truly are. Like (laughs) we would have all wanted to blow our fucking brains out. Like if we didn't have that stuff during, you know, being when we were all really like locked down and quarantine and stuff like that. That's been exactly what you just said. Like, that's what I've been leading with, with everyone. Just like with that, especially that guilt side of it too, would be like, Hey, 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 do not forget what just got you through the last like year and a half and consistently like you didn't sit yeah. in a room and stare at like a blank wall. And even so an architect built that wall anyway. So you mm-hmm. can't go anywhere without touching art and people need to start recognizing that. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think they have like, they get it when you put them in the way of like, when you're talking about actually, Hey, you know, that TV, like remember tiger King and how that gave you like <laughs> endorphins for like a week when you had none left. <laughs> like remember no. that, that there's other, there's things like tiger King out there that you should give your money to it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's slowly starting to work a little bit more, a way more progress than there's been in the past, which is great. I think like another like great example kind of that like that things are starting to get a little better in that realm. Like I think a great example is um we recently shot the uh the video version of, of Voices in the Back recently again too for the next season and we had Tony who owns Palmers uh, yes. in a, one of the conversations. And um we were, you know, during the shoot and then after we ended up hanging out with him afterwards at Palmers and stuff too, and we we're just talking about how when shows did come back like you know how elated everyone like music lovers and non-music lovers alike like when we could finally experience that again but also like the other big thing out of that too is like and i mean i'm pretty sure tony said i mean he'll continue to stick to his guns on this that like you know they those were 20 dollar minimum tickets to go see the outdoor shows and you know what like yeah it's it's kind of shitty like if you think about it but I mean, it's also pretty insane too that like why why that should be such a such a big barrier because I mean, you know, for like the first time in ages, he was saying he's like I got I got to pay out artists like what they 
probably are almost worth. <laughs> no, straight up. Like, and I'm so glad that you brought this up because that was like, this is the first time in ever consistently through like most venues that we play out that we're like getting paid out an appropriate amount. Like, it's just not $12. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? And pre pandemic, like <laughs> you would play some shows and it'd be like, okay, between four bands, we made $65. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, this is not, this doesn't make any sense. And so to like consistently leave a place um, and make like what you're like, oh, actually per hour, this is like a good rate for what we did. (laughs) Like that's, it's really great. And it's cool to see. I love Tony so much and he's so thoughtful specifically about how he's doing this part of the business and caring for the artists because you just haven't seen that. I mean, seriously, it was a consistent thing. Most places were just like, not, they were paying you nothing. And it was mm-hmm. almost like this thing of, you should just be happy to be here because people are are seeing you. And it's like, well, people are staying <laughs> because this music is happening and you're getting, <laughs> people are getting drunk because this music is happening. Like it means more than like twelve dollars. It's just it's, yeah. it's not like it's not like I'm just like the and that it's not like I'm just like the elevator music that's playing. I'm entertaining. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you're hiring me to be here. So yeah, and it's really that's kind of one thing that I've wanted to do, like in the back of my head, like getting a coalition of artists together and actually talking about exactly how much we make per show, per venue, to be like, mm-hmm. yo, the because there are like there are some venues that are still not the best and I'm not going to blast anybody, but it's like, it would be cool to know. And we should know everyone should be talking about their wages in general. Yes. Um, and so it's like, we could, as artists, like we should just be doing that anyway. And they can't blackball every single band that's ever existed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, Cause it's just like, yeah, it, we, we should be getting paid more for the shows mm-hmm. that we're doing. And if you got a problem with it, then like, don't hire me. Bye. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, see ya. It's like, I just didn't play for a whole year and I was fine. Like, like we, I feel like everyone has that vibe of like, you know what? Nothing can touch me. I, mm-hmm. I made it through 2020. Like, uh, honestly, <laughs> like I, I'm like, I'm, I made it through twenty. I made it through twenty twenty. I made it through twenty twenty one. Like exactly, we can, do, we can do. We can do whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna live forever. Clearly, at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got my fifth booster shot yesterday, dude. I feel great. <laughs> All right. Well. Well, I think this would probably actually segue now back into uh, what I was going to maybe brush on earlier, but um, talking about uh, the Midwest and, you know, the scene stuff here, um, Katie, being being black or just a BIPOC person in general in the Midwest, I, I mean, I think we all kind of know that, um, you know, places like Minneapolis, Chicago are, are very historically segregated when it comes to our communities. And I think with the context also of just, all of us going through the global pandemic, but then for us people in Minneapolis specifically witnessing the, the aftermath of George Floyd and the uprising, like in our own backyard, 
uh, I guess from that, how would you say, have your worldviews or, or view on your identity changed at all since that time? Or have any other recent events, you know, changed your influence or um, impacted your creative process as well as how you're taking the music thing forward? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, yeah, everything. I mean, I wouldn't say my worldview on myself didn't change. If anything, I got like more staunchly like this is who I am and I'm not going to budge on it anymore, uh, mm. which is fantastic. <laughs> like, Oh man. Yeah. It's like having that click finally. Um, it, it's not fantastic that it was brought on because of like enormous amounts of trauma, but I'll right. take what I can take. <laughs> and so have that like, this is, that's a, that's a great thing for me, but yeah, I mean like relationships completely changing understanding the the deep-seated like underbelly of like oh it's not even underbelly it's like it's straight up out there but like just how racist this state is in general in such a different way than other places because seattle isn't much better (laughs) it's a different flavor it's like um (laughs) it's like the fun it's it's the progressive Mecca. And then you look around, it's like, yeah, that's because you ran out like all other people. Mm. Like there's, there's no black people around. And it's like, when I was back home, it seemed a little better, but that also felt like almost like the, like a Bioshock kind of situation where it's like, yeah, it looks really great. And then like, you stay one day too long and then like Mm -hmm. the paint starts falling off. Like that's the vibe that Seattle gives me now. Um, opposed to when I grew up there. Mm -hmm. Cause I grew up in a very, like very, um, shelter, not shelter. I wasn't personally sheltered, but Redmond, Washington is like the bubbles of all bubbles. It's like Microsoft Boeing employees, like the people, anybody that's like a person of color is going to be rich. And I think I was maybe like one of five black people. And I thought I was dirt poor my whole life. And then it's like, no, we were very much middle-class and we were fine, but because we weren't (laughs) millionaires, like it was such a weird, weird place to grow up. And then leaving there and coming here and just being broke as an actual human. And then like, cause poverty will get you, to think things different real quick. And mm-hmm. then just also being able to be around people that weren't rich and white all the time. It will also be like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, this doesn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense whatsoever. So it was reprogramming for a while when I first moved here. And then also reconciling with the amount of racism that I grew up with and didn't even realize it was racism because it was like that fun like Clinton era, like we're a Democrat and that means we can't be racist, but we also don't want you playing with our kids. It's like, like we gave, we give money to the DNC. So we're off the hook Um, out here. It's like, I, I don't know. I have this like visualization of the way like Minneapolis there's like this oasis type thing in this 
the rest of the state is a whole nother ball game. And then you just learn that it's like, no, it's actually just a mirage and it doesn't mm-hmm. exist at all. And mm-hmm. some of the people that you assumed, like, cause here it was different of like people that, you know, for years that like have shown up for the cause or whatever. And I'm doing that with like air quotes. And then when push comes to shove of like really where it, things that would not even put them out, but like it makes them mildly uncomfortable and all hell breaks loose. (laughs) And I was like, I have never, this makes no sense to me. This is why I've known you for eight years and I've seen you put up with like all kinds of nonsense from all kinds of people. But when it's specifically, it has to do with like a race situation because it's this weird, like anger because they are racist but then uh-huh. they also are like so angry because they're like, but I'm not racist. And if you call me racist, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh my God. It's like, hold on, hold on, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> like you need to chill. And like, and that was because my mother is white and that was a battle that we had to deal with. And I had to deal with this like in my household for a while and luckily we're good now, but it's like, I've had to deal with this with one person and it was like years and years and years of like reprogramming and fighting on this issue of specifically like being a racist person that just cannot be racist and they will destroy everything around them in order to prove that they are not racist when it's like so clearly you are <laughs> like yep. you say you like just said something back- racist angry over it then like maybe you should just check yourself real quick yeah yeah and so it's like learning that and like being so like hurt by that especially going through george floyd and seeing so many people lose their minds um in every which way that you can imagine and like grieving in every which way you can imagine. It's like, I'm finally after like a year. I mean, I don't even know how long it's been um, getting to a place of like, Oh yeah. Like I feel like I'm back in the real world a little bit and found like the people that I need to be around and my footing back into community. Um, especially within like a friend sphere. Cause like community, community wise and the work that I do and through music, it's, I think that's why it's been easier to like stay grounded. Cause I'm like, well, I'm always doing that, but finding more community within like an actual personal realm has been, it's like, Oh, do I really want to go through this again with this place? Like, I don't know. These people are weird. Um, but it's been, it's been good. And then that's also like why I've stayed for so long, because as weird as a lot of these people are like the people that aren't weird and that are cool are like the best people ever that's ever existed. And we have such a cool community of very like innovative people, people that just want to see other people succeed. Mm. Um, And that I think is a post pandemic thing, like more so than it was pre pandemic. Um, I feel like the competition aspect feels less because it's kind of like we all were watching the documentaries about this whole industry during quarantine. We're like, we have yeah. no chance. Like, we just gotta, we just gotta do it. Like, who, who am I? Like these children 
with a computer can do so much cool stuff, put it on a TikTok, and now they live in a mansion. And I don't even know how they're doing any half of that. I just want to make cool rock and roll music. And that's the speed that I need to keep going at. So I'm going to just like keep it going and like help my friends do the same thing. Oh yeah. No. And I, I agree with you with like the, the people that you find in Minnesota, like that are good are fantastic. And yeah, like, but yeah, yeah I think there can certainly be like a lot of cons sometimes with smaller scenes, but I don't know. I mean, and I think maybe even uh, Alexi might even be a better voice to speak on this too, just cause he's just kind of from a, you know, he's like the prior class of folks just being a little bit older than us. Um, but like, I mean, Alexi, like, would you say, do you think that, do you feel like there is something kind of special in particular about the twin city scene? Like, I, I feel like I've heard so many people like, you know, kind of from your era and then, you know, people like Katie and ours who it does feel really communal. And, you know, unfortunately, like 2020, I think probably made that even more so, especially with with us BIPOC folks. But I think that there is a very rich history of um, incredible artists um, who have come from here, like no doubt, like past, present in the future, like that is um that goes without question. Um, I think the weird thing is that <clears throat> my, my belief is that the Twin Cities has had a weird chip on its shoulder because it's not one of the big cities. And, it, and sometimes it feels to me like it tries to be um, like, you know, well, we're not New York and we're not Chicago and we're not L.A. <clears throat> um, what are we? I don't know. Like, so I feel like um, the the like at its purest level, when we're talking about just art and people who make art and, um, you know, like it that it's it's rich, like it's it's deeply rich. And I don't know. I don't know what is the cause of that. I couldn't I couldn't begin to to tell you that. Um and so like that should be celebrated and like however it keeps regenerating and like transforming and transitioning from generation to generation like just fucking godspeed like let it you know keep happening i just i think it's interesting to me that um the quote unquote like industry side of it it, it just at times it can feel like really tries to um compete with with the big boys so to speak and like you know posture in certain ways that makes me just feel like you know what like you don't need to do that like you know we we are unique um in our own way and i think we can lean into that i don't think we need to um try to you know try to have the the hot band that this other big scene has like we don't need to have our version of something that's already popular somewhere else like there's a lot of great shit to be celebrated um so i don't know i that's um you know i'm getting into like rant territory but i just i, I think there's incredible shit here and i think we should just keep keep being ourselves you know i agree for sure um, and yeah, do you, I guess another thing too, cause like I've always, I've been thinking about this a lot lately too, about, um, 
creative process and stuff like that. And I, for me personally, like I feel like mine changed quite a bit after the, the last year. Would you would you say yours has uh, altered or evolved at all, Katie, with with just everything that's gone on at all or largely? Yeah, been I've gotten or? I've gotten a lot more organized than I've ever been able to be in my life. Like just in like actually doing something when I'm thinking about doing it. <laughs> like it's been a struggle for all aspects. And like, I think being able to, cause I work from home now being able to work from home and be in my like space. And when like, I don't know if I just need to write something, all my stuff is here and I can just do, I can just grab my keyboard and write the song. Um, and I feel like I've gotten, I've just had more time to get more comfortable with like my process in general, which has been nice. We recorded our, our album that we just put out, like at the, actually we finished it. Well, didn't finish it, but we left the studio like the weekend that quarantine started. And so Mm. it was like, our, that that whole album's like a quarantine like baby of working on it through that. So it was really nice to be able to be in and out of the studio during that time of isolation. Um, yeah. And just like kind of d- dig into more of that process, which was really nice. Um, not being able to play shows because we've been focused on shows for such a long time. And mm-hmm. then when shows got like started happening, I think we all... I don't know. We just like took, we're just taking it like a lot more serious, I think. And I feel like it's room in my life opened up where I can, I can take it more serious. I can schedule things are like scheduled in my calendar and like things are actually timed off. And I feel like I'm not like on the fly so much with things. Um, and ultimately it's just making me, it's making me better musician and bandmate and everything. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, like, I, yeah, I feel like creative processes are definitely, like, I don't know. I, I feel like it, I agree with you. It's, it's like you can actually figure out how to do it in a way that, like, you can, you can figure out how to dive deep, deeper into it instead of, like, yeah, I don't know. But, um, okay, I feel like I I feel like I had to ask this question because I saw it on I think it was your bio for Fresh Start. Um, I saw that you that you like to analyze the history of old uh, like early two thousands TV shows. So I want to know <laughs> what TV what TV show <laughs> do you think has what t- TV show of the early two thousands do you think has the most impact on people today? Oh man. Oh, that is what's so depend. Oh, there's, that is such a loaded question. I have like so many different answers to that in like a lot of different ways. So, okay. Yes. Um, we got like 20 even... minutes blast off. Yeah. So what I will start with is, um, well, technically the, Technically Laguna Beach. So technically Laguna Beach is where I would start. <laughs> MTV is Laguna Beach. Because it kind mm-hmm. of like started this. Well, actually, technically the show, the OC started it. But like we're talking strictly reality wise. The fact that 
like it was this whole California craze, which then birthed us the um, Real Housewives, which is like everything. That's where my bread and butter is. And the Real Housewives, the first Real Housewives <laughs> of Orange County happened the year before the recession hit. <laughs> and so that whole season is this all about opulence and it's insanity and like <laughs> all of their stupid mansions and all their stuff. And then this next season is all these same people having to like foreclose their houses. And it's <laughs> amazing. And it is so much fun to watch. And it's also this like real life, like, I don't know, this is a snapshot that you've never been able to get before of these rich people that are like, they, <sighs> And they're so vain too that they're doing this because it's for their whole thing, but they don't even realize that like, truthfully, this is going to go down in history of like watching people suffer, but they didn't really suffer that much, but it's fun to be able to see them. And then like fast forward to today <laughs> when like we went through the pandemic and watching all of them go through the pandemic, which had like such a better, like that was even better to watch because it wasn't their money being affected, but like they were actually getting sick this time. So they really didn't know what to do. (laughs) And so it's just watching them. And it also is this thing of like, for me personally, being able to watch them have such problems with things that I could care less about Mm -hmm. ever. Like if my friend (laughs) said something like that to me, I'd be like either, okay, you're talking to me like that. You're not my friend. Or, like, okay, who cares? And this will ruin, it'll ruin a whole trip to Greece. Like, it'll ruin, like, how could you be even in a, the fact that, like, you are in a bad mood and you're in Dubai. (laughs) Okay. Like, I love watching this because it's just, like, nothing makes me that upset. There's nothing, there's nothing. And they're, like, distraught. And at any moment, their whole lives fall apart and it happens daily so i truly believe like they might have money in all these mansions but they have some sort of like soul contract to be miserable forever and they're just in this like loop of consistently being miserable with all of this like gold around them it's amazing i could i could watch it forever and ever and ever because they're miserable it's so except for kathy hilton that's a whole thing she's on the newest season of beverly hills it's incredible This season of Beverly Hills, also incredible. Like, Erica Girardi, if you don't know. So Erica Girardi was married to, there's a show, or you remember Aaron Brockovich, the movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the lawyer guy, like the good guy lawyer, that was Erica Jane's husband. Well, turns out that lawyer guy wasn't so cool. He was, like, known for being, like, this guy that went over big oil and would get money for orphans and burn victims. Turns out he was stealing the money the whole time from the orphans and the burn victims. So miraculously, before all this stuff hit, Erica and Tom got a divorce. And then Mm. all of a sudden now he has dementia and can't, Mm. doesn't know anything. Um. And this is all happening on this current season. There are lawyers that have to watch every single episode (laughs) of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills to, like, check how much money the estate has because apparently they're broke now. I'm telling you, the, it's changed the world. It's changed the world. I, okay, on, but anyway, sorry. I could go on. I told you I could go on forever and ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I feel you on that, though. For, there, was, there was a second where, like, 
I was watching, this was like when I was still in like middle school and high school, I was watching a lot of the Kardashians. Love. And I was just like, like, I was just like, I just like watching them just because their problems are so, are so simple. Yeah. <laughs> their problems are so simple, <laughs> but they're getting so angry about it. Or And it's also just the, like, yeah, just the little things in there. Like, I remember especially, like, just thinking that Scott Disick was hilarious. Oh, because he is hilarious. <laughs> and this this is actually, I was talking to my friend about this the other day. And the thing is, is so like the also historical context of this and what reality TV as a genre has done for like art in general. We can look at our Queen Brittany as an example. Like she's an artist and a performing artist that wanted to be able to perform and was completely harassed. And I mean, like, mm-hmm. we all know what happened with the paparazzi and everything that goes in. And I don't think that people necessarily need to sign up for a life uh, just because you are a performing artist, that you should have to endure these things that you aren't necessarily consenting to, to be able to do mm-hmm. your craft as like an actor or whatever the hell you want to be, except for reality tv stars and what they have done is they've created an entire genre where they do want i mean it's literally part of their job to run around and get like taking pictures of eating an ice cream cone and it can Mm -hmm. leave the people that just want to do a craft of making i don't know another harry potter they can go and make another harry potter because they're too busy following kim kardashian around i think it is amazing And more people, instead of being like, what, they're doing nothing, it's like, no, they just created a whole subsect that's just people being celebrities. And we all love it because people just like people being celebrities. It's people watching. Yeah, it's people watching. It is, and they're consenting to it. Like, they love it. It's part of what they want to do. So it's like, we should be applauding them in that regard. So now, like, Robert De Niro can be, I don't know, whoever. Like all these people that want to just be actors can go act. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Robert De Niro can do the Angry Grandpa series. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's like I could I could go on and on. There's a million different shows. The MTV era, your VH1 era, Flavor of Love, like. Mm. competition <laughs> shows like oh, oh there's so many things i mean i'm telling you i could talk about forever but that's kind of like my main take yeah no i i agree i definitely agree with you on the real on like the reality shows for sure <laughs> <laughs> um all right well that that brings that brings us to the end i first of all before i say before i say my last question for you thank you so much for being on here and talking with us and mm-hmm. Letting, that was so much us fun. In. I love this. It's it's great having you on so much. Thank you so much, Katie. Katie, how um, late? You wanted- how late were you up on Saturday? Oh man, um, I think I got to my house at like seven. Oh, and then oh, oh. I don't think I went to bed until like I'm revolting ten in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, so Katie, Katie just turned thirty this last Friday, yeah. um, and I had and I had the, the absolute honor and, and pleasure of being there, um, but I was there for far longer it, than than I kind of wanted to be at this point in my life. 
It was a night. It was a night to remember. That's for sure. Yeah, it was a night. Happy belated birthday. Also. Thank you. Thank Hell you. Yeah. <laughs> you got home at 7 a.m.? I did get home at 7 a.m. Damn, that is impressive. I know. Holy I know. Especially for his 30th birthday. I feel great that I stayed out that late. Oh, yeah. Enjoy that oh, shit. Yeah. What are you doing on your 30th, Alexi? Tell me how that feels when you hit 40. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alexi, what did you do on your 30th? Shit. I had all my friends over in the backyard, and we had a big-ass bonfire, some food, and just had a big-ass, like, you know, cipher, just wrapped a lot and shit, hung out. Um, basically, the same thing I've been doing for the last 12 years, Every you know, every year I have a birthday. Um, so I've basically been 40 since I was 30. It's, it's, <laughs> That's the way to do that, though, like. I I I like I like intimate just like parties where it's just a bunch of people come over and we just we do whatever. Hell yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. We I kind of had that like, but in three different locations. It was really it was like a mild surprise party. My husband mm-hmm. didn't. I knew there was a party happening, but I didn't know anything that was going to happen throughout the night. So there was like three different Aww. destinations. It was really great. It was nice. a time, I know. And then he bought me a karaoke machine so we could do karaoke. Oh, cute! <laughs> it was really great. And there was salami and cheese. Because I even asked at one night, I'm like, "Where is there going to be salami around or what? And David wasn't around to answer that. And then when I got there, I'm like, there was salami. There is, thank God. You do oh know me. God. Like, I need the cheese. I need the salami. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Is this my birthday or what? <laughs> well, on on that note, with with well, fun birthday, seven o'clock. Jeez, I'm over here just like I'm. I'm like, I'm over here like I'm 24, and I have to think like, what's the latest that I've been out? I think four o'clock is probably the latest I've been out. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, know. I, need, a, I need to get my game wild. Up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you gotta keep up, you gotta keep up. Yeah, Anna's in Austin right, right now, so you gotta, it. you gotta, you gotta come back. Me and Katie will keep you up to like five thirty. How's that? Exactly. Stuff? I, I'll, t- I'll take it. <laughs> I'll be there. Let's go. Tell me how it was the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and she's don't, still mid twenties. So like, don't talk yeah. about the next day. She'll probably be fine. <laughs> yeah, you haven't asked how the rest of my on. week has been. My, I've been asleep. <laughs> For like seven days straight, the fact that I'm able to be in this interview is like, wow. But that one night, totally worth it. Did you know that there's a, a dad band called the Butter uh, the Butter Boys Band? Oh, I didn't, but we what? should. Yeah, we... peep it on peep, peep it on YouTube. I think y'all might need to do like a battle of the bands, just like <laughs> yeah. I was oh, gonna say just a straight battle. Yeah, we should just do a straight battle. (laughs) Battle. It's okay if we have to. We'll go back to Buffalo Wild Wing Boys. We must. (laughs) I mean, I think you should hold your ground and just be like, you know what? Fuck y'all. I'm a real butter boy, okay? (laughs) No, yeah, we will. We will. No one's taking it from us. They can't. All right, let me get to this last question. <laughs> For the fourth time. 
Um, okay. But I just want to know, is there anything that you would like to plug? I know you kind of were hinting towards that uh, Butter Boys just came out with a new album, but is there anything else that yeah that is actually a great question so we did it's not that new anymore but you can find it on Bandcamp. it's called after hours superpowers it's fantastic mm. um also we have some shows coming up just one in december i believe and that's going to be the 19th at part wolf and we're playing with a seattle band actually they're called super crush and um oh, yeah. And products. So that should be a really fun show. Oh, products. That's- My friends. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. They're really great. So I'm excited for that one. And then in January, um, we and it actually hasn't been announced yet. So, But in January, we're going to be doing a, a residency at Mortimer's on Wednesday. And we have a lot of really fun, cool shows playing or planned for the residency. So... That's what's coming up for me. That's really cool. And also will probably have already happened when this episode gets released, Katie. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We all went. It was awesome. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Everybody went and it was incredible. (laughs) You ate a whole stick of butter on stage. Every every show. Oh no. Oh no. And then, like, the last show is just a doctor checking my cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and with that, that is Katie Drahos. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you Katie. <laughs> Thanks. Voices in the Back is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. VITB is a fiscally sponsored project of the Minnesota Music Coalition, a 501c3 nonprofit art service organization. All music used in the podcast was composed and produced by Smelkin Ernesto. Engineering and mastering of all podcast episodes has also been done by Smelkin Ernesto. For his music or other audio freelance work, find him at smelkinernesto.com. That's S-M-E-L-L-K-I-N, Ernesto, E-R-N-E-S-T-O.com. And a huge big special thanks to all of the guests that participated in these interviews. Another thanks to the MMC. And our biggest and most special thanks and shout out to Alexi Cassell and Anastasia Ellis, who co-founded the entity known as Voices in the Back. <laughs>